Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today we have Jeff Alberts back on the show from 3DMJ, 3D Muscle Journey. And we are talking about his new ventures into 2022 and also talked in depth about the recovery diet that was first kind of pushed and promoted by 3DMJ and now has been taken on by a lot of the bodybuilding scene, which I think is fantastic. And there's a lot of nuance in there. So guys, I think you'll get a lot of value from this as a coach or competitor, or even someone who's just going through a diet phase where you get very lean. Look forward to this discussion. It was a lot of fun. Cheers. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Jeff Alberts back on the show. I actually can't remember the last time you were on, Jeff, but I follow along with your journey and I listen to you on the 3DMJ podcast, so I never feel too disconnected from what's going on on your end. But I think it's been a while, so I think the audience, unless they're not following you, they may be a bit not sure where Jeff has been, what's happening on your end, and I always love when I have, and a lot of the people I interview are kind of athletes or competitors themselves, I always love to just get a little bit of an update on what's happening on their end. And I think there's something exciting happening for you 2022, but I'll I'll give you the floor and how things have been in the last like year, few months for you, and uh, then what's the future looking to hold? Yeah, so the last time I think I was on your show, Steve, was right after my 2019 season. Because I think uh, we kind of recapped that. So since then, I've been back to dad mode. So spending a lot of time with family. Um, I was planning on competing with you at Worlds this year, but I just realized that earlier in the year, I was like, okay, 2020 was an off year because of the pandemic. So I really couldn't do a whole lot, you know, as far as getting out there and enjoying life with family. And then 2021, I was like, okay, it's not fair to sacrifice another year of my family for, for bodybuilding. So it'd be two years of not really doing much. So I decided not to do that. So next year, like you said, that's where we're planning on coming back to the stage. So just, yeah, 2020, 2021, just kind of training, you know, quietly, uh, like I always do and eating plenty of food and enjoying life with the family. So that's kind of what I've been doing. And of course, coaching athletes, um, but that's, that's the last two years. So 2022, yeah, that's the year that I'm like, hopefully I can still stay relevant as an older bodybuilder. No, I think I think you absolutely will. And uh, I think actually 2022 is going to be very competitive because I have a feeling there's going to be quite a few people like who are in your shoes who have decided maybe they don't have a family, but they're just like life got put on hold for 2020. So 2021, I don't know, I wanted to go on holiday. I wanted to do this, that what have you. And so they took 2021 off as well, or maybe 2020, they didn't have access to a gym. I know you have a great setup from home, but maybe they're like, I need to regain and try and improve. So I think 2022 could be a very competitive year. And we were just talking about that off air, actually, how a lot of people who maybe haven't competed that much or haven't um, 
don't compete they don't realize like shows are very much dependent on like the caliber of person who turns up because one show could be super competitive versus another and you just you don't know the placings don't tell you everything um and so yeah i think 2022 you're gonna it's gonna be a good season it's gonna be exciting to watch you and i think you're competing alongside uh Alberto as well i think yeah, he does plan on competing. So hopefully we can bump elbows again on stage, um, which will be interesting because now I have him as my full-time coach. Oh, so awesome. Something, yeah, so something I've never done ever has had someone actually prep me from start to finish. Usually, you know, I'll bring Alberto in, let's say for a peak week or something like that, or I'll have Eric guide me like the last eight weeks just to kind of keep my head straight. But never from start to finish, just say, here, here's the keys to the car. Whatever you say, I'll just do. Um, and the reason I did that was just to take some, some pressure off. Um, cause you know, how it is, I mean, you get deep into a prep and you think you're doing the right thing, but you know, you just can't really be too objective with yourself. So I'm like, Hey, let me just, uh, have some trust in, in this guy and, and we'll just go with it. So that's what I'm doing. I, I'm, I feel confident about it. Um, and it's, it's a learning experience for me. You know, I think, uh, you know, sometimes as athletes, we can kind of have a little bit of an ego, a little bit of pride factor in there. Like, okay, I've been doing this forever. I don't need a coach. So I think it's a, a good experience for me. And I think it'll show other people like, it's okay if you're a coach to have a coach. Absolutely. I think uh, uh, I've had it the same for my last two preps where towards the end, I end up consulting more with people. And this time I had... Um, Brett Freeman in my corner for almost every kind of peak week and chatting back and forth. And I, we sat down and had a podcast together and I was just like, Brett, I think in future, I just going to hand over, like you said, I'm just going to hand over the keys. Cause I think it is a pride and ego thing almost that I want to mm. control every variable. But I think like you, particularly towards the end, there becomes a point where you can't be objective and you may make the wrong decisions, even though you think it's the right call. Whereas at the start, maybe you can be that objective and you can make the right calls, but when you get towards the end, your eyes are just deceiving you and you become your own worst enemy. Yeah. And I think it's important to have someone who kind of knows how you tick. Yeah. And, you know, I've known Berto, you know, now going on 12, 13 years and, you know, he's seen me, you know, up close and in person, my tendencies. So, you know, he kind of knows how I tick. So I'm sure, you know, he, he knows how to maneuver me, you know, based off of like just the relationships that we've had and what he's seen. So there's a, there's a mutual trust there. And I think that's super important as coach and athlete, you know, we could, as coaches, as you know, you, you can know like more than anybody else about bodybuilding, but sometimes it's more about the relationship and the communication, kind of knowing how to, you know, pull strings with certain people. So, so yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited about, it. I feel confident about it. Um, and we're already out on a good foot. So yeah, I think, like you said, I think it's going to be a good year for me, whether, I place well or not um i don't know uh, to be honest it's like really low on the totem pole for me it's probably like my first um youtube video i did was actually talking about my goals and it's actually like number seven on the list as far as like placing so it, at this point it's more about hey let's just see if i can you know keep my physique and see if i can make some improvements and learn about the process have fun with it most importantly have fun with it like why do it for not having fun so yeah, I'm excited. We'll see how it goes. I really appreciate, I think you've drilled in that perspective in me. I think I have to thank like yourself and the 3DMJ crew for 
allowing me to have that perspective of the sport because there are a lot of younger guys coming up and I, I would say it's more so the younger crowd. There's definitely older individuals who do it where they have a very outcome oriented kind of goal in mind and where it's not number seven, it's number one and they're winning every show. And if they don't win a show, like, I don't know, they're going to quit or something. I don't know. Uh, but as we described at the start, you never know who's going to turn up. So you, you can't control that, that variable at all. So all you can control is your journey and how well you're going to do so it's super refreshing to hear even for someone at your level you're still not like outcome based you are based on what you can do and what you can learn and i think some people and i would appreciate your thoughts on this it doesn't mean you're going to work any less hard that's why i imagine people think that's what like oh if you don't care where you place or you you don't place value on that you're not going to try as hard i i don't think that's true <laughs> no that's not true at all because i mean the, the whole goal is like to to self-improve, right? So it takes hard work, obviously. Like if you want to gain muscle, I mean, you've got to work hard in the gym. If you want to get more conditioned, you got to diet harder, smarter. So it's not that I'm like, hey, my placing's that's ah, number seven on the list. It's I'm not going to work hard. It's like, no, I'm still going to work hard. It's just the fact that I've learned the hard way that when I have put winning a show as top priority and when that wasn't the outcome I, I got a little depressed like I spent like two years in bodybuilding depression like I didn't even want to compete anymore because it was like why am I working this hard if I'm just going to get second place why am I working this it's pointless I had a conversation with my dad one time after I placed second like a month after the show we were talking about I'm like I'm I'm done this is a stupid sport it was just bitter I'm like it's it's such a bad mentality to have like it didn't bring me joy or enjoyment so just going through those experiences, it definitely, you know, just taught me some, some hard lessons. That's why I try to relay it over to the athletes I work with and just out there in the public. Like it's such a subjective sport. Like we were talking, like you said, Steve, it's like you, you show up at a world and you think like, this is supposed to be the best bodybuilders on the planet in one place, but that's not the case. Sometimes, you know, just logistically, some people can't make it there or what have you. So it's such a huge pull of people in the world that, that actually lift weights and bodybuilders. It's like to get them all in one spot at the same time, it's tough. Um, so, you know, you're going to have some world championships that are better than others, but you know, you just have to do the best you can on that particular day. And whether at the end of the day, you the, your pictures, you're like, okay, whether there's a number one on it or a number 10 on it, it doesn't change the preparation of, of, of the show, like how you got there. So you're really in a sense, if you're just solely just so focused on a number one on that trophy, then you're, you're in a sense, giving the power to the panel of judges to define your success. And I've learned that, Hey, I don't want to give that power to those judges. Yes. I respect what their opinions are, but I should have that power to, to really define if I was successful or not. And if you make those physique improvements, you have fun with the process, you enjoy everything about it, then how can you say you're not successful? Yeah, uh, I really appreciate that perspective. And actually out of interest, Jeff, how many seasons, what number is this in terms of seasons you've done? Give me, give me a few seconds. Uh, three, <laughs> nine, four, nine, five, so nine, two eight, hands, nine, three nine, hands. <laughs> 2000, 2002, 2004, 2006, 2009, 11, 14, 19, 22 this is 14 wow that's incredible this will be season 14 since 93 that yeah i can't even like i've done three and i feel like 
I'm just sinking my teeth into bodybuilding now. Uh, and I think for like the best bodybuilders, which you definitely are one of those, you need to have like multiple seasons under your belt and to have the perspective you have, like it comes from, mm. like they call you the godfather for a reason. Like you've, you've got that experience. And I think we probably have quite a bit of a younger audience. So I think hearing your perspective on that is great. And I always throw this one at someone when they are thinking about, oh, the trophy and the placing is most important. I'm like, well, what if you come first, but you're the only one who turns up? You're first and last now. <laughs> like th th how much does that trophy really mean? Sure, you can put it on your Instagram and be like, look, I won first place and they have no context mm -hmm. and they think you're amazing. But you know deep down, whereas if you fought for a third place out of like a stacked panel of like eight guys, that's that's something to be super proud of, I think. So it's, yeah. it's yeah, the it's just that perspective shift, like you said. Um, I think you described that very well. Yeah, it's like, even if you win it, like I've won some from first place trophies, but I wasn't at my best, like, you know, like I cheated on my diet or what have you. Like I knew I could have been better. So, you know, it's not to take any credit away from guys that placed below me, even though I wasn't at my best. It's just the fact that I knew I didn't truly win because I didn't bring my A game. I didn't reach my full potential in that current moment. So again, the placings, yeah, it's great to say I won first place because, you know, I've won shows where I'm like super proud and I cried when I won the Pro International. I walked off stage and cried. Okay. Yeah, I was just, it's just like, it's nice to get external validation, but I also knew like with the first, the thing that went kind of ran through me, the emotions was that it took me 28 years to win a show of that caliber. So it was just like my whole career was like led up to that one spot, everything I went through, you know, that depression that I had told you about earlier, like everything just ran through me and it was just like, it just poured out. So, yeah, I mean, it's nice to win shows, but at the same time, it's like, it's, you have to kind of do it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think to say that winning doesn't feel amazing, I'd be absolutely a hypocrite. And the, to say the placing doesn't play on your emotions, again, right. I'd be a hypocrite. <laughs> Because yeah. like you, that first win I had this season, I've never won a show before. I, I shed a tear on stage just because it just mm -hmm. hit me. And I was like, wow. Like, and you said, like, it's all the years. I never thought I could be at that caliber to win a show. And then when I got like second or thirds and like fourth placings, yeah, I was like, I wasn't crying it for those placings, even if I looked better and I was a better kind of uh, bodybuilder. But you can reflect back and see that you were better. And like, you can have that perspective. You don't get into yeah letting the judging panel and that result define who you are it's like no this the process and if i'm better than i was last time so yeah i think that's a really va valuable chat to have and out of interest jeff in terms of this season have you already started prep and what's the goal physique wise are you looking to bring do you think you can bring more conditioning do you think you're going to have more symmetry more size is there something you think you're going to bring something better this time around if there is anything that you're trying to work on that's that's the goal to to be better. I still feel like even at fifty, I, I can be better. Um, and just looking at my physique now, like the muscle hasn't disappeared. You know, it's still there. Um, I don't know if I've built more muscle. I mean, I would like to think so, uh, but even not, I think there's areas to improve that can give the illusion of that. Better posing, um, bringing in better conditioning. I, I'm pretty confident that we can get leaner. And I think we can probably peak a lot better. And uh, yeah, we have started. So last week we, I met up with Berto. We got the game plan in place. So this is now my second week of dieting. So the goal is to just knock down about 
12, 12, 13 pounds off of my frame now by March or February, and then take about two or three months of kind of just maintaining. And then we'll dive back into like the official prep in May and take off like the last 13, 14, 15 pounds. And uh, the goal is to like hit up, you know, some qualifier in September probably, and then qualify for worlds in November. Thought about doing Mr. America. Um, that's starting to get a little prestigious over here. So like want to do that, just kind of cross it off the bucket list. Um, but yeah, I feel like I can get more conditioned. Like the muscle is there. Like I know I have enough size to compete on the world stage. I've done it before. So I know the size is there just a matter of just getting a little bit more conditioned for today's standards. It's definitely elevated since, you know, 2019, 2014 that I last competed. So I think, yeah, the illusions, I think I can look bigger on stage, actual lean tissue. I don't know if that's possible at my age, but there's other areas of improvement that us as bodybuilders can make ourselves look a lot better, even though let's say we don't have as much muscle in our frame. Yeah. Cause you know, yeah. how it is every time you diet, you just get a little bit better at it. You know, you're, it's a skill set. Like every time you lean down, you handle the stressors a little bit better. So that's, again, one of the main reasons to bring the coach in, Alberto, in is it's like, hey, keep me as cool as the other side of the pillow, because if that happens, then my body's going to be a little bit more cooperative. Yeah, I really like that approach as well. And actually, I know all the way back when 3DMJ came to London and we uh, and I had the pleasure of seeing all you guys there. And I, I feel so young thinking about that. That was many years ago, but that was an awesome event. And I don't know if it can ever happen again. I'd definitely be interested uh, to, to be there, if not uh, be part of it in terms of like even hosting that sort of event. I'd, I'd love to do it. Uh, but I can remember that approach in terms of like the diet before the prep and then like the phase before. And I think that's become more popular and more well-known it's certainly something i like to use and i think even for my next show i want to do it a little bit more like that i kind of started out leaner so i felt like i didn't need that kind of phase before the phase but then you realize how long those last kind of five pounds can take to come off and oh, how yeah. hard you yeah. have to push so uh, i think a lot of people are scared to have such a long timeline like they're hearing you started prep now and you're going to compete all the way at the end of next year but it's like this is the diet before the diet. It's not like full on prep, almost like the, this first bit of dieting is probably kind of almost nice in terms of like producing, like getting habits, just feeling good about eating less food, that sort of thing. And then, yeah, exactly. You kind of look at it like a NFL football season, like preseason, right? Yes. Like you start to, you get all the kinks out there, you know, of course you clean yourself up, make yourself look a little bit better. Um, you know, you get all those, uh, those habits in place. Then you go on that maintenance period, you know, food comes up a bit, you know, you gain maybe a couple pounds back and it recharges the batteries. Yeah. You know, you get your training rolling again, like, you know, get it to peak performance. Cause you want to start your prep, like on a high note training, like just everything should be in, in order, right? Like you should, your body should feel good and you dive back in. Um, but yeah, I think the, the long timelines, I think it's starting to become a little bit more acceptable. Because if you don't recall, you know, with 2011, 2014, when I was doing those long, you know, 47 weeks, 50 weeks, you know, people were just like, what's this dude doing? You know, he's going to lose muscle. You know, he's a year out, he's dieting, but it wasn't dieting straight through, you know, yeah. it was like picking my spots, you know, and, and of course I'm trying to incorporate the real world into it as far as, you know, family life, work life, you know, we, we're humans, right? Like, so it's hard to integrate 
you know, the bodybuilding lifestyle in the real world. So having those longer timelines, you could kind of account for all that a little bit easier. Yeah, I think uh, I described it like what's a like a month of extra dieting could give you like the difference between first and second place, but a month of extra massing is a gram of muscle or something like if you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, yeah, don't don't be worried about kind of long timelines in that sense. And like you said, it's it's not a straight linear deficit that would be pretty steep or it would be very slow uh, but yeah you're kind of undulating that and i can definitely well we can see this in the literature somewhat where it's not played out in like really lean bodybuilders because we haven't got it but anecdotally so many people have seen success with that and uh, the more i experience it personally and take athletes through it there's definitely like you get a big break when you can even when you're that lean when your food comes up that much it, it can really help Oh yeah. I remember back in 2006, I, I remember that prep. I was like, Hey, what would happen if I dieted just longer? Like I lived the lifestyle longer. So I dieted for 10 months back then. And I was pretty peeled for, for 2006 standards. Like I'd shredded glutes and I was on an MPC stage. It was a non-tested show. I was two points away from winning the overall at 156 pounds and the heavyweight was like 212. <laughs> I was almost like there. And I was like, okay, so I just needed diet longer. But at that time, I didn't know about refeeds. I didn't know about diet breaks or any of this stuff. So, you know, fast forward to, you know, 2014, it was like, okay, let me diet longer. But now I got these refeeds and I got these diet breaks in play. And, you know, it just produced a much better physique. I held on to a lot more lean tissue. So I had the same type of conditioning, but a lot more size. So I think we're just, we're just continuing to learn as we, I think anecdotally, I've learned these things on my own over the years, like just kind of just trial and error. Um, but it's nice now that we're kind of getting some evidence uh, backed up to all this stuff, you know, that, cause I remember in 2006, people are like, you're crazy dieting. Cause back then the standard was like 12 to 16 week diets. So it's, it's kind of cool. Like how far we've come and how just in a sense, how the timelines where people are just realizing like, okay, time is the father of truth. Yeah. Is the goal for this time around talking about kind of nonlinear dieting? I had um, Brian Miner on talking about kind of that reversal of the diet into shows. Is that the goal for you? I would love for that to be the goal. Yeah, I'm sure Bert Alberto has that in, in play yeah. in mind. But I mean, not everybody can, can make tricky. that happen. Yeah, I mean, because... Personally, as a coach, it's it's more on the rare side. I can actually have someone who's a, a soldier that's like, you know, basically following everything to a T. You know, we're human. You know, you have those binges or whatnot, or you just realize like, oh, crap, this person needs to be five pounds leaner. So, okay, we didn't, you know, have the, the long enough timeline to make it happen. So you have to just keep dieting closer to the show. But ideally, yeah, I mean, if you have a good two, four, five week stretch where you can actually bring some food up, the physique's, you know, you're just removing a lot of the stress. Training improves, the physique looks healthier, more energy heading into like, obviously you just got done competing. So when you're on show day, you want to like be well-fueled. You don't want to be dragging ass on stage. So that's, that's ideal. Um, but again, we're, we're playing with humans. So it's, it's really hard to make it happen with each person. Yeah, I think it's it's something I had that in my kind of timeline. I was hoping that I'd be able to get there, but it was a case of 
I'm pretty robotic and I didn't binge or anything like that, which is like, mm -hmm. it's just who I am. I, I don't have those troubles, but I didn't realize how much fat <laughs> I still had. Oh. Uh, and it's kind of like, oh, can I call it yet? And uh, the rear of the glutes just, uh, there's like those areas where you're just like, oh, you really like hold. I don't think a lot of people realize true like the difference between like elite conditioning and just about conditioned for stage is like could be five to ten pounds uh for some people and it's it's yeah there's kind of fat everywhere in, in places you don't realize and you can't choose if it comes off your face or your hands or your feet versus your glutes or your hamstrings so it's yeah it'll be interesting to see if like all works out for you and if you can use that and then that that's where you do bring that ultimate better look as well probably too yeah, it's, it's tough because even from my situation, I've been doing this forever. Like in 2019, I remember like I just started to deteriorate the last two months, but at the time I couldn't see it. You know, hindsight, you can always kind of see things, but I was so focused on getting more conditioning. I'm like, no, my, like, like you, I'm like, I can't get the top of my glutes lean. So I'm like, okay, just, just keep digging. Well, it, it was basically the wrong thing to do because I dug so hard. I just came into the to worlds looking super flat and just, you can tell I lost size. Yeah. And yeah, I got a little bit leaner, but it cost me the size. It cost my overall look. So actually two months prior, even though I wasn't as lean, I looked better. You know, my body wasn't as stressed. My muscle was fuller. And actually I looked leaner, even though I wasn't because of that. So I think having like Alberto in my corner, he'll be able to probably see that a little more clearly than I could and say, Hey, Jeff, okay, we're, we're, where we need to be in order to start walking some food up. So it's really kind of, it's, it's a subjective decision you're kind of yeah. making, right? Like as a, like whoever's kind of assessing the physique, like is the conditioning where it needs to be here? And it is now, is it time to start walking up? So it's, it's really, it's really hard to gauge that with some people. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. Yeah, it's that's a very good point because I've definitely seen it in myself where I've continued. I think I probably saw it more in 2017 i think probably that was partly down to just a lack of muscle generally but my legs just looked they, they got more conditioned a little but they lost so much size mm. uh, and it was like was that kind of chasing like i think you've even posted about it before and it has become kind of a topic of conversation is like the pinnacle was shredded glutes but now it's a case of these younger especially younger and less muscled guys who maybe don't have like they get shredded glutes but there's barely anything there and then what happens to the rest of their physique and they kind of sacrifice the overall look uh and possibly like you need to be a certain level of muscularity even to go into this kind of ultimate conditioning i think yeah it's one of those things like you kind of have to know what your strengths and weaknesses are in your yeah. physique like for me you know like you know alberto kind of said hey jeff you got plenty of size we just need to get more condition so we can sacrifice a little bit of size for condition but not too much because otherwise, like even for myself, I just flatten out. And for me, I usually end up flattening out in the legs a little bit. So now all of a sudden symmetry is off a little bit. So, you know, when you're going to the world stage, like you have to have everything like on its A game, symmetry, size, conditioning, presentation, even color, like your tan and all yeah. that. Like everything needs to be like rock solid in order to do well. So a lot of those things that the mistakes I made in 2019, hoping to rectify. And again, that's why I was like, Hey, okay, we're, we're a year out. 
let's start game planning. Yeah. You know, so I don't want to wait six months, four months out from the show, then try to get everything in order. It's like, no, this is a, this is a long endeavor. Like you have to have everything in order and there should be a big picture game plan in place. And then now it's just about execution. So hopefully this will come out uh, during December. So if anyone's thinking of competing next year, you've heard it now. Uh, we've got Jeff already making that game plan. If you are looking to compete next year and you want to bring your best, you probably want to start thinking about that timeline, possibly reaching out to someone at 3DMJ or someone uh, on our coaching team so you can kind of set yourself up for success or um, start planning backwards, at least now, because yeah, like you said, it's too late to start doing it. Like you said, 12 to 16 week preps for natural bodybuilders, unless you're someone incredibly lean year round, uh, it's just not going to kind of pan out successfully for you. Um, and I know the reason I actually brought you on, Jeff, and I, I thought that discussion was really, really good. So I'm glad we had it, but it was to talk about what you guys coined the reverse diet, which I think, oh, sorry, the recovery diet, not the reverse recovery, diet. Recovery, yeah. <laughs> um, but you maybe, have maybe done you need, reverse diet. You need diet. some coffee, Steve. You need some yeah. coffee. More carbs. <laughs> uh, I should. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm in my recovery diet. So I'll listen to whatever you tell me, Jeff. You're the, you're the guys who kind of coined the term. And I think a brilliant term. Like, I, I don't know how much you thought about it. But whenever I think about what the process is post-show, recovery just names it so well. And it also names it in a way that sounds very attractive, I think, to a competitor. It's like, this is recovery. This is um, to get better and improve. Uh, I think a lot of people struggle with that process. But I'd, I'd first of all like to start with, especially in your earlier years, what did you used to do kind of post-show and what led then to like the build-up to coming towards doing a recovery diet versus other approaches? So history of how we came about the recovery day. So let me start. It's like personally, like back in the 90s, early 2000s, like, after the shows, the seasons were over, like, okay, let's just eat, you know, let's just eat and go back to being human again. So for me, it was more about shows are over. I want to get bigger. So I'm going to start eating again. And that's kind of how it was back then. Um, so of course I would have like the big swings and weight and all that. And to be honest with you, it didn't bother me because there was no thing as a reverse diet or anything like that, or you need to stay lean. So it didn't really psychologically didn't bother me that I was putting on some body fat. I'm like, okay, good. I can actually lift heavy weights again and get after it. Um, but as I became a coach for 3DMJ at the time in like 2009, 10, 11, reverse diet dieting was a thing. So that's basically what we started to do because that's what was out there. And what I realized like working with athletes is that the success rate on reverse dieting was very low. Like maybe one in 10 bodybuilders were actually following a reverse diet. Just because you think about, you know, you go through months of dieting, mm -hmm. you're in an extremely lean state. You've basically been handcuffed for, you know, months on end from the social dynamics and all that. So all of a sudden you're going to ask an athlete once the season's over with, Hey, I need you to just eat 10 more carbs today. That's like, if you think about it, it's like one rice cake. Let's add 10 carbs this week or, or, you know, let's add 10 carbs a day even. It's like, okay, that's one rice cake. Like, no one's going to follow that. Like I said, one in 10, like they can follow it. But I mean, with the handcuffs being off, like people just want to get back to being with their families, having a nice dinner and that type of thing. So, which I just realized, like as a coach, we had a team meeting and I'm like, this reverse dieting makes zero sense. Like I'm like, this makes zero sense. I even said it straight up. I said, it's dumb. 
it's just straight up dumb. I go, people need to be recovering. So that's in a sense where the, re- the, the term recovery diet came into play. And of course, I'm not the science officer of our team. So Eric, of course, you know, can speak to the, the, the scientific reasons as to why we want to basically eat more food and all that. But just common sense. I mean, we're just yeah. so depleted and deprived. Like if you're a caveman in the ice age and you're walking around with like 6% body fat and you see a dinosaur, you're not going to say, you know what? I think I'm just going to eat its toe. You're going to eat the whole thing or just stuff yourself because you don't want to die. So that's basically you know, what your body's kind of telling you. He's like, hey, let's, I don't like this. You know, we're, we need more fuel. So, you know, that's, I think it's important that we do put some body weight on and you start focusing on making those improvements for the next season because the season's over with, right? Like you just accomplished your goals. Now it's like, okay, you got a new goal ahead. And that is to, you know, as bodybuilders get bigger, that's everybody's goal, right? To get more mass everywhere, improve body parts or what have you. So you need food to do that. And you have to improve your training. You have to improve performance. You have to improve recovery. So I think it's super important that uh, we kind of, yes, you want st- to still look decent, but at the same time, not have it as the priority because that's no longer the priority. It's about getting better. So oftentimes too, like, people's training come off a season like everybody wants to overhaul their training programs and whatnot after a season it's like it's not probably the time to do it especially not the time to do more volume because you're still in a deprived state you know it's like if you just you know maintain the same amount of volume that you had at the tail end of your prep your performance is definitely going to elevate with more food and more added body weight like all of a sudden your bench press goes from 200 pounds now you're doing 250 a month later like that's a huge increase in volume I think a mistake a lot of people make is they just start piling on a lot of set volume and a lot more training days. And you just, in a sense, your, your body's in an uphill battle trying to recover. It's like, okay, now shit, you just increased the demand and I don't have enough supply yet. So it's just, you know, common sense for me is like, just keep the training the same, improve your performance first, bring the food up. Once your performance starts to kind of die out a little bit, then possibly you can add volume if you're stalling, but then the question becomes, why are you stalled? You know, are you stalled because of fatigue or are you stalled because you're just plateaued, but you still have good energy? If it's the latter, then okay, you can probably go ahead and increase some training volume because you have the supply there to, to meet the demand. Yeah, I think that's, it's really interesting to hear about your experiences um, and the fact that, yeah, like you said, one in 10 could like adhere to a, a strict reverse diet, which I, I can understand the allure of it. But like you said, uh, it is, I, I agree, it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense to me either. Kind of trying to maintain, basically maintain a deficit or kind of creep up to a maintenance. But it's like either of those options in a position where you don't need this physique anymore makes no sense. And it's unsustainable. you like, everyone knows the end of prep. Like you said, you're like a zombie, like nothing's functioning how it should be. That's not going to lead to a better bodybuilder in future years because you can't perform. And like you mentioned with the training people, um, I'd hate to think people reverse diet and they ramp up like they're training like crazy. It's like, this is like a recipe for disaster where you just Mm -hmm. dig yourself into a deeper and deeper overreached, horrible hole where you're just super fatigued. And I can imagine people giving up the sport at that point where they're just like, oh, this is just totally not for me. And like you mentioned, you kind of, and I know uh, Eric, I think has the probably main story out of all you guys where he like ballooned up, I don't know how many pounds in a short period of time, which seems crazy actually when I hear about it. And I think about kind of my 
kind of time in Vegas, but I can see how if I wasn't mindful, every meal out could have been like just, I mean, chicken, waffles, maple syrup, donuts for dessert. Like every meal could be like that. And that could quickly lead to 10,000 calories a day in that hunger and deprived state, which could lead to a huge rebound. So it's what I really liked about the recovery diet was it's kind of like, like a lot of things in health and fitness, you kind of came to this middle ground where this just, it works for most people really, really nicely. Do you find it's quite individual? Do you find some individuals you really have to encourage them to loosen up and others you need to be like, dude, <laughs> ramp it down a little bit? Yeah, it's definitely nuanced to to each individual because everybody has their own own person, own personalities and that type of thing, and adherence levels. So it's definitely, I cater it to what I think that person's going to be able to adhere to. Um, oftentimes, you know, I might say, hey, you know, after the show, of course, eat your heart out, you know, go and you deserve a nice meal and dessert. Maybe, you know, Sunday, same thing. Don't stress on it. Just enjoy yourself. Monday, let's get back on some type of structure because those habits can easily unravel, you know, after a few days, as far as like the bodybuilding habits. So we still want to have that, like a structure in place just means like, Hey, okay. Now we have, you know, more food to, to work with. Well, let's definitely bring down any type of cardio or, or high step counts that you've been doing. Cause you know, Hey, we don't need that no more. You know, it's just, just going to dig a little bit more in a hole for your training. Um, but yeah, I mean, we definitely want to cater to each person. Um, there's been other times with like on the opposite side of the spectrum, it's like, no dude, you need to eat more. Like, I know you want to stay lean or whatnot, but no, I need you to eat more. And this is, you know, because of course we're trying to recover. So definitely some nuances there. Um, one thing I think it's been important to kind of talk about too with the recovery is just the, like as bodybuilders, like we're sacrificing a lot through a prep, right? But our better halves or our family members that are supporting us, they've sacrificed too. And I would say even maybe more so. You know, they, you know, night date nights and just, you know, time with family, like you're, you're in, in a sense, you're, you're kind of, you know, secluding yourself from a lot of social dynamics. So to just say, Hey, I'm going to do this for this reverse diet thing and limit the amount of food I'm eating. And you're still avoiding social situations. I don't think that's fair to the people around you. So I think it's important that, you know, we think about people around us too, like, okay, you, you do need to start being more social. You do need to go out to dinner with them or whatnot. doesn't mean you have to eat an entire large pizza. Um, you can have a couple slices of pizza and still make it fit into the ranges that maybe, you know, I've set someone up with. And that's basically what I kind of do is like, here's your ranges. Now we're not being so rigid, like let's broaden those ranges out and things like that. Um, but I think that's super important. And I don't think it's talked about enough, you know, that as bodybuilders, you know, we do put a, a heavy burden on people around us. Yeah. I think I'm glad you brought that up actually, because, I think even as bodybuilders, uh, we probably don't respect that part of our life and how much benefit it can bring to us as well in terms of like being social, trying different things, um, like structure and rigidity, rigidity really we often thrive off. But uh, it's not to say that a bit more flexibility can't also help that too. So yeah, and I like actually that even the two kind of work together in that you've got more food. You need to actually be in, for, especially for natural bodybuilders, male bodybuilders, or even female bodybuilders, we need to gain kind of fat rapidly to, to get back and healthy. So you could be on a decent amount of food and that can allow for kind of then a meal out where you don't have to have tons of veggies to keep yourself full and satiated because like a standard like meal out at a restaurant, a thousand calories or something can 
provide enough satiety, even though it's kind of calorie dense and kind of tasty, you're on a good amount of intake. So I think that kind of balances, like you said, it's not just physiological recovery, it's that psychological recovery, social recovery um, with relationships and the things like this. So, uh, and like you said, I think some people they don't need encouragement for that sort of thing. They've all maybe got restaurants booked post-show and they're, they're ready for it. And other people, you have to be like, um, I probably work with more of this type of person because I'm a bit more that type of person who's a bit more like really loves the rigidity and the kind of the, the precision. And I have to just like let myself go a little bit more and allow myself to eat and enjoy meals out and not have precision because it's no longer required. Um, so I think that was yeah really nicely said actually. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, the um, a red flag for me, like, let's say we're coming towards the end of the season and, you know, an athlete kind of says, hey, here's my restaurant list. After the <laughs> yeah. show. That's a red flag. Like, okay, I, I need to really kind of watch this person and make sure there, there's a decent amount of structure still post-show. Otherwise, they can really like, yes, we want to gain weight, but we don't want it to be so extreme, you know, where all of a sudden now you got this, this food disorder at play. Yeah. So we have to kind of, you know, those are, those are red flags for me. Um, and that can actually like, you know, based on something so small like that, like, Hey, Jeff, here's my restaurant list for post-show. Like how hard do I really want to push this person now? You know, I might look at it and go, okay, this is this, this athlete's first season. Is it worth like pushing this person so hard to get these shredded glutes? Cause the aftermath of that, like this can be really serious, like health you know, reasons. So do I really want to push an athlete or, Hey, let me just push him this far this season. Cause Hey, this is a 20 year old kid I'm working with. There's plenty of seasons thereafter. Like here I am 14th season, right? Like I'm at 50 years old, still enjoying the sport. So I want to make sure that I'm thinking about an athlete's career, not just, Hey, I'm trying to get this kid a pro card at 20 years old. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Okay, cool. As a coach, yeah, my athlete got a pro card, but you don't sometimes see the aftermath, the, the rest of the story. So as a coach, I, th I always want to make sure I'm, uh, you know, taking an athlete's health in mind as top priority. I actually really appreciate this perspective because I think I've heard you maybe mention it before on a podcast where I think, especially for younger bodybuilding coaches, and they see like, I don't know, someone like Cliff Wilson, who just has so many elite clients who just get shredded. And they may be, I mean, there are a lot of them elite and they maybe have done multiple seasons and they can kind of, he can push them super hard and they can get those shreds. But I've certainly had a handful of clients where, like you said, it, it just would have been downright like, uh, not, I can't think what the word is, but it would have been the wrong thing to do uh, for their health. And like you said, health is number one. Sure, we potentially could get there, but at what cost? What are you going to sacrifice? And sometimes the better decision for long-term health of that athlete is to not bring them to that level of conditioning and to just get them to have an experience and enjoy it. And I think particularly because, I don't know, the sport hopefully is growing and we're getting quite a lot of first-timers, maybe even listening to this podcast, hope they might listen to this and be like, like we spoke about, there's a difference between like elite condition and just good condition, like that 10 pounds, that could be the difference between an eating disorder and not an eating disorder. So if you can, if you feel like those tendencies are coming in or you see that with your clients, I think what you said there is, is something to really take home where, yeah, maybe to get the best end result, the best chance of winning a trophy, you would keep pushing them. But at 
like think about what's going to happen to them afterwards and will they come back to you for another season probably not <laughs> yeah that's that's even like for myself i kind of look at the the level of conditioning the standards just keep rising which of course in all sports you know things evolve but other sports you know they don't get to six five percent body fat you know and that that does have like a, a sense of concern for me because the like we don't see the aftermath like you know you don't see on social media people binging you know no one's going to be posting that you know on their stories or what have you so it's probably not saying it's common with everybody but i'm sure there's quite a few people that have struggled with that and it's real so it's kind of a little bit of a concern that i have um so sometimes like you know, hey, those 3DMJ guys are a little soft or whatever. Like, hey, they're not bringing their athletes type of conditioning. Like that doesn't bother me because no one sees behind the scenes of getting this athlete from point A to point B and everybody has their own story. And so I always kind of coach from, from the perspective, like I just want to cater to their overall health first and foremost. Of course, the goal is to get the athlete in the best condition possible. And there's there are some athletes that I've pushed really hard um, and they've gotten really shredded. Um, but I just felt like at the time, like this person's in a position to be able to do that. Yeah. So I think that's part of being a, a I don't say not good coach, but just a mature coach, like just making sure that you're taking care of your athlete's best interest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think part of probably the success that you guys now will see with the recovery diet is because of the way you go through the whole prep. Whereas there will be those individuals who will do basically everything that you don't want, where they'll be super restrictive during a prep. Maybe it was complete meal pre- plan for, I don't know, six months, 12 months. They aren't allowed to be social, do these things. And then the end of prep comes in and it's just a case of their coach doesn't even have a plan for them. They're just like, well, you've done your season now. We got you shredded glutes. You got the trophy. See ya. And then they just rebound all the way back up. So they probably had a really torturous prep that maybe they didn't enjoy. And I don't know, they could even look at the trophy and be like, almost, it brings negative emotions uh, to them. And then afterwards, they're just like left like a a dog off a leash and they just go crazy. So I think your guys' approach generally being just way more catered to the athlete's health, mental well-being is going to lead to a really successful period afterwards as well. And in the long run, like you said, a more successful bodybuilder. Yeah, because it's, I mean, you, you just got done with your season now. So, I mean, could you imagine if you're just like trying to stay shredded, like on how unhealthy that would be, like trying to walk food up slowly, you know, two months later, you're only up about three or four pounds. Yeah, you look great, but you're going to feel the trauma of it. And then on the flip side, you know, could you imagine if you're like, hey, you were in Vegas every single weekend for a month. Now you're up 40 pounds. Like that would be totally unhealthy as well. So like you said earlier, there's, there's middle ground and you have to cater to each individual as far as how you want to kind of get them to a healthier position, uh, get them more normalized in a sense, like get enough body fat put back on to where now they're no longer food focused, where they have good energy, good leverages in the gym, performance is elevated. They're recovering well, their social dynamic, and it's more normalized now. They're not scared to go out to dinner and things like that. Um, and they're just managing, you know, life as it should. So, yeah, I think it's super important that uh, we treat each person as, you know, more like a human versus a bodybuilder, you know, once we come off a season. 
you know the fact that you've even mentioned mentioned something like social dynamic i i can't imagine a load of bodybuilding coaches <laughs> really care too much about whether or not someone's social or not and uh, some of these aspects and how their relationships are unless it's impacting what they're doing in the gym or what they're eating uh, so it's, it's great that yeah you have a very holistic uh, kind of yeah. uh, approach to your coaching methods there what's interesting to me is like when i like i said earlier when i first competed in the 90s like and i didn't know about reverse dieting recovery diet it was like i said it was just I didn't have the awareness of those things. So like, like I said, gaining some body fat after it, it didn't seem like it was something that was wrong or that I shouldn't be doing because I didn't have social media, you know, on my feed, all these shredded bodybuilders, you know, constantly, you know, looking at those people. It's like, okay, just, I'm going to get back to training and just get back to, you know, eating. And eventually like, yeah, there was some, some preps where like I would have like a 10 pound swing a week later or a 15 pound swing. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a decent amount of weight, but it, eventually it kind of, you know, worked itself out like a month later, two months later, you know, I was basically just kind of back to my, my normal ways, you know, it's like, okay, I'm still eating my four to five meals per day. I'm still eating the same amount of calories, like getting back to the bodybuilding habits again. And everything is just leveled off and there was no stress about it. But I think in, in today's day and age, especially, you know, because of, you know, the evidence, sometimes that can be a little like, just get in the way a little bit. I think as far as like our mentality, like we try to be so perfect with things. So the reverse diet was kind of like doing that for a lot of people. Like it was just still being a little bit too neurotic still. And if we weren't doing things certain ways, like, okay, my coach wants me to eat 25 more grams of carbs, but oh shit, I just ate 2000 calories extra today. Now all of a sudden I feel shitty and terrible because I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Then the opposite would happen. Like, okay, now I'm going to slash calories way down because I want to correct that. Well, in a sense, you're, you know, you're kind of creating a vicious cycle because now if you go from eating a lot one day to a little bit the next day, like all of a sudden the hunger gets driven up again from it and you're just stuck in this cycle. So I think a lot of times it's like, you know, the middle ground, that's, that's where it's at. And like I said, sometimes just trying to be perfect after a season, like when you've just been perfect for like, let's say a full year, it's like, okay, it's okay to let go a little bit of that mentality. Yeah. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. And something about the individualization that I think would be helpful for the listeners would be also, I guess, for the guy, maybe even the bodybuilder who you've taken him down to a reasonable level of condition where he looks competitive versus the guy that's peeled inside out, like Dirk was, for example, at Worlds. Uh, like they're going to have slightly different approaches, maybe post-show because one's already kind of a much healthier level of body fat potentially or his kind of to get back to a healthy position is much shorter and the same I guess for different uh, competitors in terms of men's physique versus bikini versus women's figure will their recovery process look a bit different I think it's it, like you said it's very individual like like let's say you and I were the same body fat percent six percent and we went through the exact same prep like everything like a to Z, everything was identical. Your experience and my experience could be totally different. How you feel things versus how I feel things. So you have to cater to the person. 
someone who's let's say 10% body fat, like let's say a female figure is like she's still, let's say 12%, and then you have a male at 6%, like the female might be feeling the same exact same thing as the male. Yeah. So you just have to cater to each person. I don't think we can can look at just like, hey, because of bikini, we have to treat it this way, or because that's no, you have to look at it as a person. Yeah, I think it's that that's actually very fair. Um, in my head, I was again being a bit probably a bit simplistic and robotic in thinking, oh, bikini don't get or men's physique bikini they don't get quite as lean. Maybe they don't need as strong a recovery process. But equally, they could have come from a much higher body fat, or they might just live at a higher body fat than someone else like me or Dirk for example Dirk might actually he probably doesn't need to push up as high as maybe another individual because he is someone who just sustains a leaner body fat and feels good at yeah. that level exactly. so yeah the the perfect kind of solution is focusing on recovery like you said like um, lack of food focus hunger levels like under control good energy levels sleeping well libido in a reasonable position performance in the right place everything that kind of went in the shit during the, the last months of prep yeah. is now the food focus back. i think like the food focus i think once that kind of dissipates and goes away then you kind of know more or less okay this this person's probably where they should be okay nine times out of ten because if you're still thinking about food all the time like your body's probably telling you you need to get a little fatter yeah you know planning your next meal looking at the clock planning the next day of eating i know i'm still in that position because i literally have been like planning out my breakfast so i'm like oh maybe this <laughs> yeah. breakfast would be better than this breakfast oh that didn't mm -hmm. taste quite as good as this so um I, i'm what just over a week post show so i know i'm still in that recovery timeline which brings me actually what do you normally see is like when you're talking about the recovery diet how long is that kind of phase for you uh in general i know it's going to be individual but how many weeks like what sort of range does it tend to look like for your athletes I'd say probably in the neighborhood of four to 12 weeks is kind of like where you see some good recovery. Sometimes it takes a little longer than that. Um, under four weeks, it's not going to happen too often, especially if you get to extreme levels of leanness. But yeah, anywhere between four to 12 weeks is kind of like that window where, you know, you get a decent amount of body fat put back on, you start to feel a heck of a lot better. Um, but I would say more, more times than not, it's going to be like past four weeks where you're going to start to feel a lot better. So. I know you guys tend to say, I think like five to 10% above your stage weight. Is that whereabouts you see most people landing as well? Mm, it just, it, again, it's individual. Yeah. Kind of just depends on the size of body and things like that. Yeah. I think, um, what was I? Oh, I had something in my head. I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> I completely <laughs> lost it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, oh i was going to say maybe kind of a nice way i like to think about it sometimes is kind of the position you're dieting down to and you're going to maintain and build calories up to that kind of starting prep position that's almost the place i envisage someone needs to get back up to so kind of a maintainable lean physique that looks like yeah reasonable timeline for contest prep you almost that timeline wants to be shrinked down into the recovery timeline afterwards, which I guess could be like a third of the time or something or something like that. That's how I yeah. tend to visualize it. I think the, the main thing is, again, is like once your season's over with, don't be afraid to throw some calories at you. Like it could be like upwards of a thousand calories, you know, Hey, let's add a thousand calories in there. Let's, let's chop those steps down in half or more. Let's reduce, like eliminate all the cardio and just like, just start to gain some body weight back. Um, and, you know, a month later, like if you're up 
10, 15 pounds in your mail, like that's probably going to feel a heck of a lot better than actually where you were four months prior. Um, and eventually like, you're going to get to a point where like, cause I'm more of a, a person, a coach that likes to go by how someone's actually feeling versus like, I'm using these general numbers to dictate how I'm making these adjustments. Yes. There's some guidelines in play with some numbers, but it's more about, Hey, when this person's like, doing well in the gym, they're recovering well, they're no longer food focused, and they seem like they just have the, a cooler head now, like, okay, this person's probably where they need to be. And the visuals, it's like, yes, it's kind of important, but it's not like the most important. Like for me, I want that person to actually feel normal again, more so than, than the visual or even what the numbers are dictating. And I think as everyone knows, when you go from any kind of cut phase to a mass or massing to cutting or whatever it is, there's always the scale weight, at least for a couple of weeks is kind of useless. And I imagine because it is such a, for a lot of people, it's an extreme like cut and then into like a quite a reasonable surplus. Uh, at least that's something I found is like the scale at that time is not like, cause, and if this is where, if you let numbers dictate you, you can look at the wrong thing and it can take just like if you use numbers at the end of prep versus how you look uh it can take you the wrong direction do you find the scale to be kind of not super helpful in that first transitional period yeah the first week or two i'm not stressing over scale but i do like once someone seasons over i do have a structure of like okay this is where we want where which is a guideline like where this is where we yeah. want our body weight to be like we want to x here four weeks later here four weeks later here so in a sense, whether they're hitting those numbers exactly or not, it's not too important. It's just like there is a structure in place. So it holds the athlete accountable. So they're not like going off on the deep end and like, oh, you know, okay, I'm going to have those Krispy Kreme donuts every day, you know, and starting to pile on some body weight. It's like, we want to still have some structure there for sure. But visuals too, like coming off of it, like your body starts to gain some weight on the way up and I've seen some wacky things, you know, I've yeah. seen like some athletes, all the weight goes to their gut. It goes to their ass. It's just, just kind of depends. So visually like it's, I would say it's not too important either. Yeah. I mean, there's some importance, but not like, like, cause you can see some wacky things with that. So visually it's like more like two, three months down the road. Like, Hey, how, how are we looking at that point? Yeah. I think that's helpful for people to bear in mind. Cause yeah, it's just such a, a strange transition transitional period where um yeah things but i think the main take home is we're removing some restrictions but we aren't letting go like as we kind of mentioned it's that middle ground and so you do need those structures and habits in place uh, i know for me like i don't know hitting my protein for example is just not a question at the moment but if someone was just like oh it's a recovery diet so i just eat out every meal and i forget about fruit and veg and protein once you you need to have those because you're going to be food focused if you go down that approach for a long time because it's highly palatable food without kind of the baseline diet but you kind of want that structure in place yeah and then you can make the assessments from a good standpoint you need to have some structure in place um because we're bodybuilders right we have to have structure and i think once you let go of that's where you get running some hot water but that structure can look a little bit different you know you tweak it so, you know, maybe it's like, Hey, Monday through Friday, you know, you're still kind of doing the bodybuilding thing. So eating the same types of foods and on the weekend, you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let loose a little bit on the weekend. So there's that. I mean, other people like 
they'll like, you know what, I'm going to save a thousand calories for dinner. That way I can enjoy a dinner every day with my wife. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about, you know, what type of food I'm eating. You know, I can, I can make a lot of things fit with a thousand calories and still kind of hit my targets at the end of the day. So you kind of, that's a different type of structure. Like there's all kinds of ways to set things up based on the individual. Uh, and I guess, you know, you just want to cover the big rocks. We're still bodybuilders at heart. So make sure you're getting your protein feedings in there. Make sure you're eating enough calories to support your training and that type of thing. Um, make sure you're still hydrated, getting sleep. Like you still want to cover the big rocks, but you're just in a sense creating a structure where you're allowing just a little bit of flexibility to um, be a little bit more normal. Yeah, I am. Um, and I think you've mentioned it, but it's worth saying as well, like less focus on, and I think 3DMJ have done a great job at this during just improvement season phases in general, less focus on the physique because ultimately that's not what is kind of dictating results and more focus on the gym performance and that's what i think most hopefully most bodybuilders like love the most it's like the training aspect and that part of it and the growth kind of bodybuilding um so yeah less focus on like you said the physique can kind of look i haven't really been checking too much it's kind of a habit of checking the glutes every morning is slowly dwindling away <laughs> that's when i know like i care less is when i'm not checking to see how they're looking <laughs> Like, come on, dude, season's over. You're still looking at your glutes. Come on. Yeah, come on. <laughs> it's, yeah, start, it's start paying more attention to your squat. Let's, yeah. let's get that moved up. Yeah. Because look, exactly. again, like you get the performance elevated. That's what's driving your physique, right? It's yeah. the training. So you want to get that at peak performance again um, and just really go at it because that's where you're going to you make those improvements for your next season. For sure. Awesome. Jeff, this has been a great chat. I think um, I think we could probably talk for hours just surrounding the topic of bodybuilding and all the little nuances. And I'm really glad that we've done this because I think there's great material out on the reverse, uh, sorry, on the recovery diet. I won't say the reverse diet, uh, the recovery more, diet. More carbs for you, <laughs> more recovery. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's great resources there, but to have this chat and talk about the nuance of the recovery diet is great because I think Sometimes uh, bodybuilders, I'm bad for it as well. I like like the strict guidelines. It's like, I don't know, four to six weeks, I need to be up five to 10% body weight. And I'm like, well, the human factors are actually more important. So like you said, the food focus, the libido, the energy levels, those things actually probably matter more. And having had this discussion, it can be incredibly individual. How And someone might feel bad that they might go above 10%, but like you've just said here, they might need to do that to be the best them or someone might not need to push that high and they might needlessly kind of go that way. So uh, I think this has been really valuable for people. I appreciate being on. Uh, you, you're doing great work. So it's an honor to be here. Thank you, Jeff. And if people want to follow your journey, you're doing a great job of actually sharing a lot over Instagram, particularly um, you're still doing your, are you going to be vlogging for the whole prep? Is that the goal? Well, that's the goal. So the goal is to get at least one video out a week, but you know, it is, it's, it's, it's tough. We need videographers. <laughs> we need one down in your house or uh, your, your kids aren't old enough to do that for you yet. <laughs> Unless you like to watch a shaky video, which I don't think we want to do that. So no. <laughs> um, and yeah, if people want to follow along, where should they head Jeff? So 3DMJ Godfather on Instagram, um, you can go to team 3DMJ on YouTube. Fantastic. I'll make sure that's all linked below. Um, and you can check out 3DMJ's coaching as well. We'll link up that website and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.
So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Your Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another, a really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. It's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.